Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half hour. Now, the person we're talking to today is somebody I actually first spotted on social media. She's a Danish journalist, and her name is Eiben uh, Tranholm, and I'm really hoping that I didn't uh, maul her Danish name with a, with a, a Dutch pronunciation. But uh, she examines political and social events and especially focuses on, on a lot of religious a- aspects and, and the moral implications of things that are happening. She's actually one of Denmark's most widely read columnists. She's a former editor, and she's a radio host of the Danish Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, she's traveled quite extensively to research these topics, Topics, including uh, across the Middle East, the United States, and even Russia. She has a lot of very fascinating interviews uh, with people relating to different issues. But I first noticed her uh, because a YouTube video surfaced on my social media feeds of her debating a European reporter on television. And that reporter was essentially asking Ivan for her take on what was going on in Europe in response to the migrant crisis. Now, uh, as many of you will know, the migrant crisis in Europe has also uh, resulted in a sexual assault crisis. Over a thousand women uh, were sexually assaulted in Cologne, Germany, and the stories uh, of migrants sexually assaulting uh, European women seem to, to pop up with shocking regularity. In fact, I think just two days ago, I saw one of these stories pop up where two migrant men had raped a woman in her 50s and told the judge that they did so essentially because they just had had a bad day. Now, I don't want to, to linger on that too much because that's not the purpose of the show, because what Ivan was talking about was not just the sexual assault crisis, but the response of European men to this crisis, which she said uh, proved that there was a crisis in European masculinity. And the example that was being discussed was a group of, of Dutch men, and I'm ashamed to say it, who literally responded to a wave of sexual assault across Europe by dressing up in miniskirts, some of them shaving their legs, and marching down streets in Holland declaring that sexual assault was not a woman problem. And Ivan was essentially asking, what is, what is wrong with these men? Uh, men are supposed to protect women, protect children, protect the culture, and instead you have them in miniskirts? And the, the interviewer responded to her by saying, yeah, but you know, the, the warm, inclusive, uh, effeminate masculinity that it defines Europe now, in her view, is something that promotes... Uh, is promoted, pardon me, by the European Union. And, and she pointed out one of the age-old tropes that, you know, allowing any sort of aggression in males leads to aggressive males, which leads to war. That's quite the leap, of course, but that's what the interviewer was saying. And I've been responded by pointing out, yes, but in all of human history, we have needed these traits, and it's not just about fighting wars, it's also about fighting back. And in her view, uh, European men had lost the will or lost the ability to fight back against people coming from an area of the world where they have a very defined set of values, but those values differ widely from ours. So I fired her a message over Facebook, and sometime later she got back to me and said she'd be happy to have a conversation about all these issues. And so I called her in Copenhagen, Denmark, and we chatted uh, for about 40 minutes, and this is that conversation. Just, uh, I'll start off by uh, asking you the, the question that sort of led to, uh, to this interview, which is uh, I've noticed 
uh, on a lot of different shows across Europe, and it's even surfaced on a few Canadian shows that the migrant crisis in Europe has exposed uh, a crisis in, in European masculinity. What were the events that led you to make this point in, in, in the media? It was uh, the incidents of sexual assault in uh, in Cologne, Germany, on New Year's Eve. Um, I, I was just shocked to see what was happening, and what really shocked me was that all these women were alone on the streets. And when this happened, of course there were men, there were men among them, but when this happened. There were no reports about men, you know, trying to interfere, trying to defend those women, and it means that uh, many European men was absolutely not, was was obviously not capable of of doing um, some kind of you know some some kind of um, what do you call it um, that they could defend those women, mm-hmm. and I think that just was a clear sign that. Uh, the masculinity in Europe is lacking and has been lost. And if you see, if you look to European politics right now, it's like all about inclusion, about soft values, trying to love your neighbor, embracing other people, open borders, like a, a woman that is, you know, receptive. So European politics is all about that. You don't see, you know, politicians defending the borders, you know, doing... Maybe they could even use the military um, uh, to defend the borders, but you don't see that at all. So there is also the lack of masculinity within our politics. And our whole system is sort of, you know, overtaken by feminism. And I think that is a sign of crisis because in every culture there needs to be a balance between feminism and masculinity, and we don't see that anymore in Europe. So so feminism has taken over on many levels, and this was just one sign that, that we are now dealing with a very aggressive male culture coming from the, the Islamic countries. And they don't care about equality and women's rights. They just see women as, as weaker than men, and mm-hmm. they are actually also um, assaulting women. Uh, and we have had a lot of other stories with rapes uh, across Europe right now, where it's only like one woman or two women, not like a mass assault, but it's happening all the time. Yeah, I was going to, to ask you that, just to unpackage what you said there a bit, because on on this side of, of the Atlantic, we, we've heard stories about there being a so-called a rape crisis from, from the migrants coming in, but there seems to be a lot of loud shouting on both sides from what you've seen and what you've been reporting on. Is this, is this crisis fear-mongering, or does it really exist? No, no, it's absolutely not fear-mongering. It, is, uh, it, it, it actually happens. And maybe it even happens to a larger extent than we know because it seems that many media or there was some kind of, you know, a scandal in Sweden where media has been covering these uh, assaults up uh, not to give good arguments to the right-wing uh, politicians. So maybe there are even more um, assaults happening than we know. And also some women, they might be, you know, embarrassed to tell about being raped. But it's, you know, it's in Germany, it's in Sweden, it's, it's, it's happening quite a lot of places. Or there are um, other kind of, uh, you know, violent assaults. So, so it's true that the things, things in Europe are changing uh, a lot. Uh, but, of course, it is so political. Um, and there are people who really want these open borders and the influx of immigration because they're feeding this kind of multicultural narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to cover up what is really going on. So there is this political battle going on. Uh, so the right wings are often, you know, being accused of fear-mongering, which I think is very uh, unjust. It's not true, uh, because these things are actually happening. 
Well, what's interesting is so Barack Obama was in is it was in Canada uh, yesterday, and he gave a speech in our parliament, and he talked about how uh, there's no such thing as Western values, but there are universal values, and he was referring to a lot of the agendas that you're laying out. But as you point out, there's these people coming from places that do not hold those values, and it seems that these values aren't universal. But it it seems to me, from what you you said in other interviews and what you're saying now is that we've lost uh, some set of values that allowed us to respond to the types of things that are happening. And what in your mind has gotten lost? Because obviously it's not just, you know, the love your neighbor attitude, which is something that, you know, the Christian knights of old would have held as well. It has to be something even more uh, visceral and something deeper than that. I think it all it all comes down to the loss of our Christian faith. That's That's evident. But, I mean, today many boys, they grew up with no father in the home. They have, right. no male mo- they have no male role models. So the average modern Western male has been feminized. And because they have had mothers who were in the 68 movement who basically wanted their boys to become women and to act like women. So they have no, no, they, they have, uh, no knowledge of uh, many manly virtues, I would say, because virtue here is a, is a very important word because mm-hmm. virtue is something that our Christian faith was providing uh, back in time, and we have lost that. So, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's virtues like courage, resolve, self-sacrifice, justice and temperance and self-reliance, self-discipline and honor. And, you know, um, I think Islam has a sense of those virtues in I'm sorry to say this if I'm going to offend anybody, but mm-hmm. in a perverted way, because right. it's very aggressive, it's very dominant, and it's also creating fear, you know. So, um, I mean, the, the Christian understanding of those virtues was, that, was also very protective. It means that men, because they were brought up uh, with those virtues, they, they had, find, had the sense of protecting society, protecting women and children, protecting values, protecting their own nation. Mm-hmm. And this has all been lost, basically because we have lost uh, our faith in Christianity, but also because of feminism. So, yeah, it might be universal values because they are truth. They, they, are, re- they are representing the truth, but it has been lost, and it has been overtaken uh, by a completely... Um, confusion, more confusion, more corruption, I would even say. Mm-hmm. Uh, because ma- many people today are just occupied with ind- individualism and materialism is not greed, uh, personal success, and just profit-making. And you can't build a society on that. And that's, uh, that's obvious now what's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, those virtues you listed, uh, uh, there's protecting and, and you also, protecting, not patronizing, as some would call it, but you also point some, out something that I think gets missed a lot, which is self-sacrifice. And when you said that, it reminded me of, of some news articles that came out on CNN just after a mass shooting in a, in a theater in Aurora, Colorado, a couple of years ago. And the story was about how many, many of the boyfriends had physically laid on top of their girlfriends and, in many cases, saved their lives. Uh, their, their protective instinct kicked in the second danger hit. But you uh, commented uh, sometime back on uh, what you felt was a rather disgusting reaction by a group of Dutch men who put on miniskirts in reaction to the sexual assaults in Cologne. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't need men to become women. <laughs> I mean, we need men to protect women. And I think it's a very, I, I would always say, even though it's very tragic, a beautiful story that those male in the theater actually had this kind of instinct feeling that they needed to protect the women. Because what is real masculinity? Uh, for me, it is very much related to self-sacrifice that a man is able to protect and also give up his life like Christ did. I mean, right. we have this male image from Christ that he actually sacrificed himself to save other people. So this is the basics of Christian culture, and this is what we have lost. And that's why we see so much confusion and lack of masculinity and, and a kind of also masculine femininity that men really feel uh, rejected from. They don't like women that are becoming too masculine. And that's also part of why there are so many divorces, so much, you know, crisis within relationships, because those um, roles have been completely altered. Now men has become women, and, and women have become men. And, you know, it doesn't fit with our instincts and our nature, and that's why it's, there is this completely more, uh, even emotional confusion in Europe and in the whole West, I think. Yeah, and you've hit on something important there, uh, the, the values that are, are coming in from certain places in the Middle East, because essentially the, <clears throat> the prime characteristic of, of Islamic masculinity is conquest, whereas you pointed out that the prime characteristic of Christian masculinity would be self-sacrifice, and there's an inherent difference between those two characteristics in regards to how men would treat women. But you're in Europe, and I can imagine uh, that a lot of people... Would, would, would be quite upset with a lot of the things that you're saying, because you're talking essentially about a lot of, I won't say traditional gender roles, but you're saying natural gender roles, as in the genders are wired differently and wired in some cases for different things. How have your European counterparts in the media reacted to you stating something that, to be fair, would have been sort of a common belief 50 years ago? Well, to my big surprise, I've got a lot of response uh, when I was appearing on TV shows with this uh, lack of masculinity point of view I have. Right. And to my big surprise, a lot of people agreed with me. <laughs> I hardly had any negative comments because people really could see that we have lost this thing in our culture and, it is, it's, and it's a negative thing. So I was quite overwhelmed to see how much positive response I actually got. So I think a lot of people have realized that the postmodern project is dead and it's not working. The problem is just, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are in this kind of, you know, you know, feel, I mean, the consequences of this crisis right now on many levels, on their personal life, in their political life, and in, I mean, the whole culture is suffering. But the problem is just what are we going to do about it? Because it seems also now, also with um, the Brexit movement uh, in the UK, that there is a bigger uh, gap between the political class um, and uh, the ordinary people. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of ordinary people are not stupid. They have understood those mechanisms as something is wrong. Right. But the problem is just that our, that our political leaders has a kind of, utopia uh, policy. It means that they want to bring all people together. They want this kind of equality between every, I mean, the gender, um, um, people from different cultures, even religions. And it's, and, and, I mean, in practice, it's not working. Right. It, 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 it is a lot of division. It's a lot of frustration. It's a lot of turmoil. And it's not going to bring Europe any good. 
So my suggestion is, and that's probably going to new, going to be a new thing that people would criticize me from. I don't know. Maybe I will get a lot of positive response as well. Is that the only thing that can save Europe now is to come back to our spiritual foundation, which is Christianity, which will learn again, which will learn us again all those virtues and all those values that we have lost. I don't see any other solution because. It seems to me there are no political solution anymore because, I mean, people don't have any confidence in our in our in our political leaders anymore. It's 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 evident mm-hmm. uh, with the Brexit uh, movement uh, and what happens uh, in England right now. It means that people have lost the confidence, and I think that's also why Donald Trump is so popular. It's because right. people uh, realize there has been told lies for many years, and they don't want to they don't want to to uh, to accept this anymore. Uh, so there is a big, you know, there is, I think there will, will be a big confrontation. But I think that if those people who are in this kind of movement against the political class do not try to reach out to something that is upbuilding, some kind of spiritual foundation, spiritual values, they're not going to make it because then they really have no solid ground to stand at. Uh, to stand at. And I think uh, that's, that's, that's the problem, that they are in lack of those virtues and values mm-hmm. that we lost when we uh, decided not to conform our society to, uh, to Christian values anymore. Well, it's, it's very interesting because, of course, the, the problems that you've been pointing out are cultural problems, and there has to be you know, cultural or, as you point out, spiritual solutions rather than political ones. But you mentioned the Brexit vote uncovering this sort of gap between the political elites and sort of your everyday citizen. And I, I, Bloomberg just recently published an article, I think, that uncovered that, and maybe this fits into what you've been saying. He said that uh, a lot of these ordinary people, they wanted to be British, they wanted to be patriotic, you know, God, Queen, and country, these things that they used to hold dear, where as the elites were attached to what he called a, a rootless cosmopolitanism, whereas they're mm-hmm. moving in the circles that they moved in, being British wasn't important, all these values weren't important, just moving from one capital city to the next, meeting with you know your friends and, and living the high life, and, and that this has exposed this disconnect. To what degree in Europe do you think that disconnect is being exposed uh, more and more? We heard a lot over here, of other nations demanding their own referendums in the wake of Brexit. What's your take on that whole situation and how it applies to these cultural undercurrents we've been discussing? I think that uh, that Brexit will inspire other countries, at least here in Denmark, in Copenhagen, where I, I reside. Um, there is already a debate now whether Denmark should not have the same re- referendum. So I think it's coming, and France is also talking about it. Marie Le Pen is, has addressed it several times. And I think a lot of people want this sovereignty back. They want to take control, like the British said, over their own borders, their own um, uh, politics. We don't want to be told from undemocratic leaders in the EU uh, how to run our country. Right. And you could say that uh, this is a kind of taking masculinity back, in a way. Right. Uh, I think to actually to stand up for your own country, to stand up for your values, to stand up for yourself, or, or even to defend yourself. I think that's very masculine. So I think this is very positive. I just hope that this movement, because I think it's going to be a movement uh, within Europe, would come back to the real virtues, because if, if it's going to be like this kind of superficial, 
uh, anger. You're just very angry about the whole system. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic energy and that helps you to move things. But in the end, you need to build on something that is positive and, and constructive. And I think a lot of those nationalistic movements, they have a problem because they're not rooted in anything that is sound spirituality or Christian virtues. It's just like this, they're very angry about the whole system, which I understand, but it's not enough because it's also negative, you know. So you need to find something positive that is better, a better alternative. And then you need positive um, values and you need to teach people those values again and to uh, they have to say that the postmodern project has failed it has completely failed and we see now that our culture is falling completely apart it's it's totally collapsing so what we actually have in Europe right now is a kind of cultural marxism which resembles actually the ussr a lot you know i started to call eu for the eussr right. because it's more or less the same and i think what we see now is a kind of resistance against this kind of utopian uh, uh, equality of everybody which actually was the same thing in the soviet union everybody has to be equal you know, but there were some people that were more equal than others, right. and everything just collapsed because it was built on a lie. And I think our leaders has been, you know, lying for quite a long time now. So I think we are going to face the same situation as in the Soviet Union in many ways. That people are just realizing that it's not so fantastic. Paradise is not around the corner. On the contrary, it seems like everybody is going into a kind of civil war. You know, mm-hmm. so. I think we should look to what happened in the East and and, think, and and realize that this could happen in the West as well. And that's very interesting, because you point out that Christianity uh, in its true form would be the answer to, to many of these challenges. But the difficulty we have here in North America is that Christianity is being presented to people as hateful, as bigoted. Uh, you know, the opposition to gay marriage that's in Christianity is something that uh, people should uh, reject as almost vicious hatred. And it's, it seems as if, uh, with the multicultural postmodern project, that any ideology, any worldview can be accepted except for the one that gave us our civilization and gave us our values in the first place. So uh, you see in the wake of, for example, an Islamic terrorist murdering uh, close to 50 people in a, in a gay nightclub in Orlando, that many of the politicians have turned around and said that uh, Christians with their opposition to gay marriage have created the climate that spawned this Middle Eastern terrorist. So when you point out that you want to start <clears throat> proposing Christianity as the answer, and I don't know what this is like in Europe, I'm only speaking from the North American perspective, is there a chance that a lot of people will push back because Christianity has been recast uh, from a faith that emphasized uh, you know, loving your neighbor, self-sacrifice, and all these things into a sort of a, a hateful, bigoted, narrow-minded point of view? Uh, yeah, I, I know, but when I heard that comment from politicians that it was actually Christian who has made this climate of you know, hatred against homosexuals, I would call this a diabolical twist because it's completely to, re- to reverse truth into a lie. Right. And they're actually telling lies. And I think Christianity is based on, on, on the truth. And it means that, that the big problem in our time is that, is that truth has been turned into something, um, I would even say, yeah, a lie. 
and a lie has been turned into something that is true. And this is, you know, this was exactly the same thing that happened in the Soviet Union with this kind of communism uh, idea. And now we have the same spirit here. And I think you have to understand that what's going on in the world today is not only a political battle, it's a spiritual battle. Right. And it means that those, those evil forces, which today is disguised as freedom, freedom of speech, democracy, gay rights, all those things. It seems to be like a liberation, that everything, now we can be completely free. We don't have to, we don't have even to consider the Bible and the Word of God because this would just, this would just make us feel like prisoners, you know, in our own Mm -hmm. lives. And this is, this is, this is exactly the lie that they sort of, you know, have twisted what is good, what is truth into something that seems to be um, just um, limiting people. Uh, and I think all these, 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 these values that we have now is, is uh, in a kind of opposition to uh, Christianity. But you can be sure that those, those political forces, what they want to, like I said, it was a spiritual battle. They want to destroy God's project. And, I mean, the, 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 the gay uh, issues are, you know, a perfect issue to go against Christianity with because you can always accuse Christians of saying, this is, uh, this is uh, not, uh, I mean, you should be more tolerant. You should mm-hmm. be more tolerant toward those, towards those people. But we know uh, that even from, na- from natural law that uh, a man and a man cannot create a new life. Uh, a man and a woman can create a new life. And that's also because sexuality has been twisted enormously because, I mean, our, our sexual uh, or our sexuality has been um, separated from procreating. It means that today people can have babies without even having sex. Right. They don't need to have yeah. sex to have a baby. And also it means that you will have... And, and you will... Um, have sex with no intention of having any babies. So that was the sexual liberation already that sort of was watering down what is sexuality. Mm-hmm. It, it, is, it is meant to create a new life. So we know that two people of the same sex can never produce that. And in that sense, it's not right, you know, because this, was, this is what sexuality was meant for, not just to enjoy myself, but right. to, to create a new life. So already when we lost that understanding, we opened the door so it was difficult for us to say, why shouldn't two people of the same sex be able to have sex with each other? And why right. should we not be tolerant uh, towards this? So, you know, there are many layers. Uh, but I think that this is uh, an attack on the order of God, the beauty of God. And you see the consequences. I mean, um, I think I saw a survey uh, where... Um, it said that homosexuals have, were three times more likely to commit suicide than other people, even though they were in relationships. So uh, many, many gay lives are not that gay. They're not that happy. Mm-hmm. But it's just something that the, the, the Western media would cover up to you. Right. So it means I, I don't really think that those people are living uh, you know, very happy lives because they are not living uh, in accordance with the, uh, with, the, uh, with the order of God or natural law even. Mm-hmm. And there are, I mean, there are spiritual laws, moral laws, like we have natural laws. And if you are, you know, in a kind of opposition to this, you can never be happy. But it's not allowed to say because we have this kind of, you know, tolerant police, tolerance police. 
And I think that's just getting very, very totalitarian. Uh, And this is uh, the tricky part is that our free democracy, uh, our our liberal democracy is turning totalitarian, at least for Christians, Mm -hmm. because now Christians are being arrested for hate speech, just expressing their concerns about homosexuality and that it is not right. Right. And maybe even somebody would, would come after me just, you know, from what I've been telling you right now. So it's not allowed to say anymore. And, and that in itself is very alarming. It's very alarming. This is interesting because obviously your, your critiques then of European masculinity have come from a, a, a complex Christian worldview that you hold very dear. And if you don't mind my asking, what, what is your own Christian background? Because you've obviously considered all of these cultural issues in the light of what Christianity has taught you. Well, I was raised uh, a Protestant, but uh, then I studied uh, theology at university. I had a master's degree. And then a few years after my degree, I decided to convert to Roman Catholicism. So uh, I am a Catholic now, um, and uh, I'm very happy to be a Catholic. <laughs> so, mm. uh, so, yeah, so I am, I am a convert to Catholicism. And what would, would the state of Christianity in Scandinavia be? Because you're Danish, which is why I think a lot of people wouldn't have instinctively accused you of having these views because you were a Christian, because Scandinavia is n- notoriously secular. Out, out here uh, in Canada, the, the left-wing Canadians sort of talk about Scandinavia longingly as a, as a land of glorious socialism that we should all seek to emulate. So what's it like to be somebody holding the views that you hold in the profession that you are currently in with, with those sorts of beliefs? Well, it's very difficult. Uh, it's very, uh, Christianity is very secular uh, and very, I would even say, um, left-wing, sort of. Um, so it, it, it is a very liberal Christianity. So uh, there aren't many people like me uh, here in Scandinavia, uh, and that was one of the reasons why I decided to convert, because I wanted to be part of a, you know, a, a church that was worldwide uh, mm-hmm. and hold other theological views. Um, so that was part of why I uh, I decided to convert. So so here, I mean, yeah, it's true for for liberals, uh, Denmark is a paradise. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so I I understand that. If here, I mean, we were the, the first one to um, legalize abortion, uh, pornography, things like that. Mm-hmm. But you also feel it here in in our culture because this is the most unspiritual culture I have ever experienced. That's why I need to go abroad uh, from time to time just to get some fresh air, you know. It's, right. You know, here we have the welfare state and, and the state provides everything for you from you're born until you die. And it's very, it's very neat. It's very cozy. Everything works. But there is no spirituality. We have, you know, we are a, a third world country when it comes to faith and spirituality. So when you start to talk about faith, people won't have much understanding of uh, what you're talking about. But the, the, the interesting thing is that people have an interest. So if I go to a dinner party and, or whatever, wherever I go, and people know who I am uh, or I tell them what I'm, I, I do, uh, they start to ask me questions about religion. So it means, I think, there might be some kind of search uh, for some you know, answer to bigger questions. But in the end, I think that socialism and materialism has overcome Christianity or replaced it here. And it means that many people are very um, living in a kind of poverty when it comes to spirituality and to the bigger meaning of life. And I think that's very poor. I think it's very, very poor. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I think um, that the state now has replaced God. And that is what's happening in welfare states, is that the state becomes God. And the result is that many people here don't have any real joy. I mean, maybe many people think that to have a lot of material goods, to have a house, to have a car, to have everything you want would make you happy. But on the opposite, but uh, but actually the opposite is is happening. We see a lot of very depressed people here. I think we are only five million people. I think uh, it's up to half a million people who take anti. Depress- uh, what is it called? Uh, happy pills. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're very depressed. Right. And we have a very, very high... Uh, you, we have a lot of people who are um, addicted to alcohol. That's also a huge problem. So if they were truly happy, you know, they would not need to take all those drugs. So I think that is a sign that the welfare state, you know, needs a soul, and we have lost that soul. And for many people, it means that die, and that's it. And it's not enough for uh, uh, for a human being. There needs to be a higher purpose, uh, a higher goal with your life, Mm -hmm. and then just serving the state, you know. Okay, well, let's end this off with one final question that I've been thinking about as, as you've been speaking here. You mentioned things like abortion and pornography and the depression rates uh, amongst people and especially among people in, in in certain lifestyles we see dozens and dozens of new sexually transmitted diseases many of them lethal having come into being since the the, the sexual revolution but we also have a generation now that grew up without Christianity, right? One generation back, people rejected Christian values, but since then, this generation uh, has lived with the results of the sexual revolution and secularism without realizing what it was that our society rejected in the first place. And now you say you present this inflammatory thesis on television about masculinity, and you get a lot of positive feedback. Do you think there's a chance that maybe a generation that doesn't know what was thrown away uh, might want to seek those answers again. I hope so, but it depends right now on the grown-ups whether they will take responsibility and go back to the roots, or they will not. Because somebody has to a- to educate those young people. Mm-hmm. Of course, when they grow, when they are going to get grown-ups, they might do some soul searching themselves. But I think that, that what is very scary is that the biggest problem among young people today is self-destructive behavior. It means like cutting and, you know, drugs and things like that. When I was a child, it was like uh, crimes where people were stealing a car or they were just, you know, throwing them with stones or whatever. But now it's actually young people who are self-destructive. And I think that's also a spiritual problem, that they want to hurt themselves because they have so much pain inside uh, that they just need to hurt themselves physically. Um, and I think that the only... Uh, way to heal that is through uh, spirituality and going back to faith. I think it is actually a sign of lack of faith in something higher because many young people here are left uh, um, by their parents to make uh, their own decisions about life because we have this kind of relativism, which is actually nihilism. It means that uh, parents today are scared of telling their children what to believe in what to think because they they want the, the, the young people to find out themselves, which is obviously too big a responsibility when you're just 12 years old and your parents are divorced and you don't know uh, anything about your life. 
So I think uh, they need uh, a father. And what has also been lost uh, with the lack of masculinity is this aggression against uh, the the father. I mean, like Freud was against uh, the father, made it very a very critical issue with, with the father. And God is the father, you know. So I think that if, if the next generation could try to see God as this kind of loving father, uh, not a dominant, aggressive father, but a loving father who wants to take care of them, I think there will be much healing in that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to, to talk with us about all these really important issues. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.